Morning, family. Morning. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 56. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a victim of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose words I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime they will, will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to be here with you this morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone, all the fathers out there. Um, I didn't plan it this way. Uh, I just remembered, or I just realized that it was Father's Day this Sunday yesterday when my girls gave me a, a nice little card that they made. Uh, but we will see um, a lot about God's fatherly care this morning. So uh, works out. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and get into the text. Our good, kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, um, God, we come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would humble our hearts, God, before your splendor and your majesty, God. Uh, Lord, our desire is to know you more, God. Uh, our desire is to... Um, submit all of ourselves to you, humble ourselves before you, God, and walk in obedience to you, God. Uh, we are thankful for what you have done for us. We are thankful for your love for us, God. And Lord, we love you, and we want to know you. We want to be with you. And God, we just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, continue to change us and conform us into the image of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week... Um, we talked about friendship. We talked about how friendship was an essential part of David's character. Uh, we saw how friendship was really a crucial part of David's rule as king. We saw how much he valued it. Uh, and with that, we saw how David's friendship with Jonathan points us to Jesus and the amazing reality that we can now experience of calling Jesus not only our Lord and Savior, but our friend, Jesus, is our friend. We enjoy him just because he gives us himself, just for who he is. That is the beauty of friendship. Now, with that, we also saw, we observed how Saul 
uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, we saw that he, how he was trying to hold on to power, and this led him to grow in hatred towards David. Because of Saul's desire to hold on to this kingdom that didn't belong to him, his disdain, his hatred towards David, it just increased to the point that he wanted to do whatever he could to capture David and put him to death. So naturally, David runs away, right? He goes into hiding because he doesn't want to be killed. And he actually spends about 10 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel uh, running away from King Saul. So a significant portion uh, records his time in suffering, his time of suffering, walking through this dark valley of persecution. It was a big part of his life. And because of that, we're going to take a look at two Psalms, one this morning, Psalm 56, and then next week, Psalm 27, which were written by David when he was uh, facing this persecution from Saul. Right, it made such a big impact on his character, uh, and hopefully that's what we'll be able to see this morning and next Sunday. So Psalm 56, right, what we're in today, gives us the explicit background information uh, for this psalm. Right, just like Tim read for us in the superscript, David wrote this psalm uh, when, on the day that the Philistines seized him in Gath. The Philistines, if you remember, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. So what had happened is David was driven out of his home. He was driven out of his country as he was running away from Saul, right? The people who were in authority, the people who were actually supposed to protect him had turned against him. David was a faithful servant in Saul's household. There was no reason for Saul to come after David like this. Yet Saul was putting all of his resources and all of his energy towards capturing David so that he could put him to death. And that must have been quite a frightening thing. So David runs away from his country. He runs away from his home only to be captured by the Philistines. The enemies of Israel seize him. Now, do you guys remember what David did to the Philistine champion Goliath? I, you guys know, right? He, he killed him with a rock and then cut off his head, right? So he humiliated the Philistines and their champion. And so they probably want revenge for that. And actually, we know that they do because in 1 Samuel chapter 21, um, we see the context for uh, David's psalm here, Psalm 56. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Verse 10, this is, the, again, the context for the psalm. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, who was king of the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So this was really an awful place for David to end up, a really sketchy situation for him to be. Uh, like the, the best thing that I can come up to compare it with is, let's say you, for example, 
were being persecuted by the people around you. Um, you know, your coworkers, all the people around you, they were after you. They wanted to take your life. So naturally, you run away. You run away from Okinawa, but you run away only to end up being detained by the Chinese, and you end up in a Chinese prison. That's a really sketchy place to end up. Uh, that would be an awful situation. And similarly, David is in that kind of situation. He's in a terrible place, and he's at a complete loss. Yet, what do we see in the psalm that is David's response? What is David's response in the psalm? Two times he repeats this. He says, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Right? In a dark situation like that, that's what he can say. That's, that's remarkable. You see, something led David to trust God rather than fear his circumstances. And that something was a relationship with the Lord built upon God's word. Here we get such a cool snapshot of David's relationship with the Lord. We see how it anchored him in this time of extreme trial, in this time of suffering. You see, it wasn't religious activity that anchored David. It was his relationship with God. David didn't find assurance at this time because he gave his tithes or because he made sacrifices. It's not because he lifted up his hands in worship or because he served the needy. No, David found assurance in his relationship with the Lord. So this is really quite applicable for us. Because when we find ourselves in a dark and desperate situation, when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, what is it that can give us assurance? Well, it's not our religious activity. It's not our performance, not our performance at work, not our performance in church. It's not if we lift our hands in worship or not, or how much we tithe or how much we serve. It's none of those things. Our anchor, the only true anchor that we can have is a relationship with God that is built upon his word. David's relationship with God was built on the firm foundation of what God had spoken. And this led David to trust in God's fatherly care rather than fear his circumstances. I'm reminded of the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. We've heard this one, right? A couple of you guys, most, maybe. Well, it, goes the, it opens up like this. It says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. We cannot begin to comprehend the great love that God has for us as his sons and daughters. It is vast beyond all measure. Yet we can recognize it. We can apprehend this love. We can experience this love as we grow in relationship with God, as we grow in a relationship with God that is built upon his word. This is essentially our main idea this morning. 
So the main idea of Psalm 56 is relationship with the Lord is built on his word and leads us to trust in his fatherly care. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, I'm just not smart enough to make that any more concise. (laughs) Relationship with the Lord is built on his word and leads us to trust in his fatherly care rather than our dark, fearful circumstances. In this psalm, we can see three key components of this kind of relationship. So these are our three points. One, relationship involves a love for God's word. Two, it involves taking ownership of God's word to you. And three, it involves responding to God's word. All right, so taking a closer look at our first point. In verses one through two, And in verses 5 through 7, David describes the problem that's confronting him, right? He describes his situation, and it can basically be summarized like this. David is constantly surrounded by his enemies, and he is always feeling threatened by them. Verse 1 says, all day long an attacker oppresses me. Verse 2, my enemies trample on me all day long. Verse 5, All day long, they injure my cause. So this is a constant threat, a constant problem, right? There's very little rest and relief for David. This must have been an incredibly stressful and frightening situation. Yep, um, and I like actually how it's illustrated in this children's Bible. I've been reading a lot of children's Bibles these days. And uh, I just think they, you know, it's a creative uh, picture of this. Here's David with the torch. And then all these scary eyes surrounding him, right? These are his enemies. And the picture, what we see so often is that David's enemies were surrounding him and just waiting for him to make one misstep so they could capitalize and put him to death. So a frightening place to be. Yet, what does David say in verse 3? And likewise, he repeats this idea in verse 10 and 11. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. Now think about, for a minute, what David assumes in this statement. He says, when I am afraid, not if I am afraid, when I am afraid. David knew that he was going to encounter trials, sorrow, difficult experiences. He knew that he was going to encounter things that could make him afraid. He knew that his limitations, he knew he was susceptible to fear. You see, he didn't expect a life of faith to remove anything that could have been threatening. He didn't expect that a life of faith would remove any and all uncertainty. This was God's anointed king, and yet here he is. He's chased into hiding with no crown, no throne anywhere in sight. Right? That, that promise made by God must have seemed so far away. This could have really led David to seriously doubt the word of God. How could this lone refugee be king of Israel? David was afraid. 
And yes, David had strong faith, but he was still susceptible to fear. A strong faith doesn't mean the removal of hardship. It doesn't mean the removal of sorrow or persecution or suffering. A strong faith doesn't mean the absence of fear. Rather, faith helps us overcome what we perceive as being fearful. So David, he resolves to trust in the Lord because he knows God's word. David makes a decision that goes against the grain of his emotions. Right? He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. That's what biblical trust calls us to do. Though we may feel a certain way, whether afraid or hopeless or crushed or confused, the Bible calls us to take God at his word. David makes a decision that goes against the grain of his emotions because he not only knew God's word, but because he loved and valued God's word. Look at what he says here. He says, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. Now, that's an interesting way to say that, praising God's word. And this is actually the most repeated idea in the psalm. He repeats that, this idea three times, praising God's word. Well, why does he say it like that? You'd expect him to say, I trust in God, whom I praise, and, you know, we sing to the Lord. We don't sing to the Holy Bible. We don't want to idolize the Bible. David is so full of adoration and respect for God's word that he praises the word of God. And the reason he can say this, the reason he can praise God's word is because God's word is a perfect, accurate representation of who God is. It's not an exhaustive representation Right, God is infinite and no finite thing can contain God. But it is a perfect representation of who he is. Right, this is absolutely fundamental to developing, to having a relationship with the Lord. If we want to know God, then we need to know and love his word. A relationship with the Lord is built upon a love for God's word. You know, if my wife said to me, if she said, Vince, I love you for your writing, well, first of all, that would be weird because seminary papers are boring, so I don't know why she would ever say that. But I'd also be slightly offended because my writing, it never like captures who I am really, it never like captures my heart doesn't accurately portray who I am. But God perfectly expresses his character and his quality through his word. God's word is a window into his heart so that we can truly know God, not just learn facts about God, but truly know him and develop a relationship with him through his word. Am I making sense here? Is everyone following? A great example of this truth in someone's life uh, is uh, in the writing of Martin Neimoller. Um, Martin Neimoller was a pastor during the World War II era, so he 
spoke out against the Nazis. If you guys are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, this guy was a contemporary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, so, of course, speaking out against the Nazis, he gets taken into prison and then eventually thrown into a concentration camp. Yet he's able to keep a copy of God's word with him uh, throughout this time. And so this is what he has to say about it. What did this book mean to me during the long and weary years of solitary confinement and then for the last four years in the concentration camp? The word of God was simply everything to me. Comfort and strength, guidance and hope, master of my days and companion of my nights, the bread which kept me from starvation and the water of life that refreshed my soul. The way he speaks about the Bible, it's like he's, he's talking about more than words on a page. It's like he's talking about a person He's talking about something that gives him life. The beauty of God's word is that we can personally know God through it. Now, in a much greater way than David, Jesus was God's anointed king. Yet during Jesus' earthly ministry, there was no crown, there was no throne anywhere in sight. Right? He came to this earth as a king, as the king of the universe. Yet during his whole life, he didn't experience anything that we would associate with kingship. Jesus himself said that the son of man has no place to lay down his head. And the devil tried to tempt Jesus by highlighting this, by highlighting this perceived contradiction between Jesus' circumstances and what God had spoken. And three times, when the devil is tempting Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, the devil was trying to make Jesus question whether or not he was truly God's son, whether or not he was really God's chosen king. And three times, Jesus rebuked the devil by quoting scripture. Jesus loved and leaned on the word of God when he was weak. Remember, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, so he was depleted when his enemy confronted him. And yet he took refuge in the word of God and defeated Satan. Knowing and loving God's word is the first key to having the kind of relationship with God that will anchor you in your greatest times of trial and temptation and hardship. Now, the second thing this psalm teaches us about relationship with the Lord, so we're at point number two here. The second thing this teaches us is that it involves taking ownership of God's word to you. Now, here's what I mean by that. So often we can read the Bible or go to church and learn facts, learn things about God's character and his promises. We can learn information about God. And we'll even go so far as to confess the faithfulness of God to his promises. And yet we are so slow to understand that in Christ, 
those promises, all those promises actually apply to us and our individual circumstances. We're slow to believe that God's word counts for us. We'll be perfectly quick to believe that God can work in someone else's life, that he can show up for that person's desperate situation and show up in in their dark corner of their heart. We'll believe that God really does love them, but we're slow to believe that God can change our lives and that he truly does love us. The kind of relationship with, that David had with the Lord involved him believing God's word for him. It involved him taking ownership of God's word, ownership of his promises. Let's look together at verses 8 and 9. Here David writes, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. A lot of repetition of first-person personal pronoun here. David wasn't confused about his pronouns. David's relationship with the Lord, what we see here is that David's relationship with the Lord meant that he took ownership of God's word to him. Think about it. He knew. He knew the history of Israel. He knew God's word. He knew the countless examples where God would see and hear and respond to the cries of so many people from Adam and Eve to Enoch, to Noah, to Abraham, to Hagar, to Jacob and Joseph, and on and on. Throughout history, God's good and faithful character has been made so perfectly clear. And David knew this well, yet he also knew that because God's character is perfectly consistent, that it would also apply to him no matter how, no matter what the circumstance communicated. Or this is the hardest kind of thing to grasp, isn't it? Like God's kindness is so apparent in Scripture, yet we are so reluctant to believe that it applies to us and our circumstances. Yet this is what is true. God shows up for all who have placed their faith in him. Might not be in our timing, the timing that we prefer, but the truth is that God shows up for all of his people, no matter how dark the circumstances, no matter how painful the suffering. David took ownership of God's word to him. Uh, There's a Christian author her name is Joni Erickson Tata, and if you know Joni's story, uh, you'll know that at the age of 16, she suffered an accident diving, and from then on, she was, she's been paralyzed from the neck down. So she's had a lot of hardship in her life. She's suffered quite a lot, 
and she's written pretty extensively on her experiences with suffering and uh, how this has affected her relationship with the Lord. In one of her books, she kind of imagines what she would say to Jesus when she sees him in heaven, what she would say about her suffering. And this is what she writes. Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Joni testifies to the fact that God is present and that God is so good, even in the deepest suffering. She testifies to the fact that God's goodness can shine through even in the most awful, even in the most hopeless circumstances. And you know what? I can testify to the same thing. I've suffered in a different way than Joni, but the same God that was faithful to her was faithful to me. In 2013, my first wife, her name was Rebecca, she died in a car accident. Um, she died in a car accident as we were uh, taking a road trip to go to her college graduation. And I remember waking up in the hospital and uh, someone passed, one of the nurses or someone passed me a note written by her sister that explained what had happened. And so I read the note and I thought to myself, well, this is ludicrous. Like, this can't be real. This is a dumb letter in a dumb dream. And so I went back to sleep. But then I woke up the second time in the same hospital, same dumb letter right there on my lap. And I can tell you that I was so desperate for God to show up for me. Like I have never needed anything in my life like I needed God to be with me in that valley. And I can stand here today and look back and I can so clearly see that God was so faithful and so good when I needed him. Even as I was going through it, I could see that. In all my sorrow, all my anger, in every moment of regret, in every dark, bitter night, God was present. I needed him, and he did not let me down. He was faithful to be with me and reveal to me his goodness and care and kindness and his power and his majesty and his glory, even in that valley. He didn't let a single hurt slip through his hands. And I was able to see that he is so, so good. 
But if I'm just saying that based off of my own experience, then who cares what I have to say? If Joni says that based off of her own experience, who cares what she has to say? Because it's right here in God's word. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This I know that God is for me. God sees and knows and accounts for all of your pain and suffering. Every single drop of it. Let's say that you could somehow quantify all the hurt and anguish of your desperate, needy soul. Say you could somehow measure that. For a lot of us, like we can't even fathom what that would actually look like. But for an infinite God, nothing is impossible. For a God who is perfect, there is no limit to his care. For a God who created the universe and parted the sea and raised the dead, there is not one single hurt that he cannot redeem a thousand times over. This I know, that God is for me. Can you say that with the psalmist? Do you believe that? Do you believe it for you? At the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You spend time reading that, spend time internalizing that. It seems almost too good to be true. But will you trust what God has spoken? A God who is infinitely perfect and powerful and righteous and just doesn't speak words that fall to the ground. He doesn't say things that won't come into fulfillment. No, every single word will accomplish the purpose for which God has spoken it. Go against the grain of your emotion and put your trust in God. He is for you. It's right here in his word that never fails. The last key, the last key part of uh, the kind of relationship with God that David exemplifies for us is responding to God's word. So last point here. 
in verses 12 through 13, David uh, gives a response to the deliverance that he expects. He says, he speaks here of his soul being delivered from death, and his response is to offer thank offerings to God. He says, I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Now, the first thing we really want to take note of here is that David isn't offering his thank offerings as a way to earn salvation. He's doing it in response to salvation. He's doing this in response to the deliverance that God has provided, right? He's not trying to purchase redemption, right? He's responding to it. David believed in the word of God, which turned into expectation of his deliverance, which then led him to offer uh, his thank offerings as a response. And of course, this is pretty intuitive, right? Understanding how God has delivered us leads us naturally into uh, a response of gratitude. But this pattern here in the psalm shows us that thanksgiving is really a key part. It's an essential part of having a relationship with the Lord. Now, to really understand how this psalm applies to us, we really need to first see how this applies to Jesus. Because David here is talking about taking sacrifices to the tabernacle. Right? He's talking about taking his offerings to this place of worship. And as New Testament believers, right, we don't take the blood of goats or bulls or anything like that into church to offer our thanks to God. As New Testament as New Testament believers, the whole of the Old Testament applies to us through Jesus. So we don't want to overcomplicate things. That is exactly how we relate to the entirety of the Old Testament, through Jesus Christ. So again, we need to think about some of the parallels between David and Jesus. So David here, in verses 12 and 13, he speaks of his soul being delivered from death. And of course, David didn't actually die in this instance. He had a near-death experience. But the way that he writes about, the way that he talks about death in verse 12, in these kind of absolute terms, foreshadows the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Additionally, we see that David was a king who was persecuted by the establishment in Israel. So King Saul, Saul's kingdom, right, was after David. They were against David. And likewise, the Gentiles were against David. So Saul and the Gentiles, Saul and the Philistines, were both against David. They were after David. And David had to walk through this dark season of persecution this valley of the shadow of death before he was crowned king. David was the true king of Israel who was rejected by the establishment and for him the reality of the crown and the throne had seemed so far away. In a far more significant way, Jesus was a king who was persecuted by the establishment of Israel. All the religious leaders of Israel wanted to put Jesus to death. 
In addition, along with that, the Gentiles were against Jesus as well. Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 27 with me. Here it is written, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Herod was the ruler of the, the Jews, the Israelites, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So everyone was against him. Everyone was against Jesus. Yet unlike David, Jesus didn't just face the shadow of death. He didn't just have a near-death experience, but he faced death itself. He was persecuted and alone, nailed to a cross with the inscription written over his head, King of the Jews. Everyone was against him. Everyone, including me and you. We can't forget that it was our sins that put Jesus on that cross. It's just like it says in the hymn, how deep the Father's love. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. My sin, my voice, my punishment. This is what the Bible communicates in so many places about my contribution to Jesus' death on the cross. We need to take ownership of what the Bible has to say about our sin. Jesus died for people who hated him, for people who would gladly see him kicked off of his throne. Yet out of his love and commitment to the will of the Father, he died for people like that. People like me and people like you. And after three days in the grave, he emerged victorious, crowned with indestructible life. And guess what Jesus brings to God the Father as his thank offering, right? Just like David did in the psalm. He brings us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to you, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved. Now that term firstfruits, that was a special type of thank offering in the Old Testament. It's what the people brought to God when they were thanking him for his faithfulness. Through the work of Christ, it is actually we ourselves who are being presented to God as a thank offering. Our whole lives then, you think about it, are to be lived in gratitude to God. Gratitude should shape every single part of our lives. Not just the church part, not just the MC part, 
but every single part of our lives should be shaped by this gratitude for God's deliverance, the deliverance that he has provided for us. The whole thing, the whole life belongs to God. Psalm 56 models a relationship with God that will anchor us in our most desperate moments. A relationship that is built on a love for God's word. It's built on taking ownership of God's promises to you. And it's built on a response to God's word. Church, may we pursue this glorious kind of relationship with the Lord together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we are humbled, God, by your commitment towards us. God, we're humbled by your love for us. Uh, we're humbled by your word. And God, I pray that we would take ownership of your promises. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe what you have spoken. God, may we not deny your faithfulness and deny your truth by believing what you have said simply for other people. God, but may we believe it for ourselves. God, you are true and righteous and perfect. God, we have every reason to trust in you. Yet, it is so hard so often. God, would you please uh, be merciful towards us, God. Bring our hearts closer to you. Align our hearts more closely uh, with the truth that you have laid down for us in your word. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.